Well, thanks for joining us today. Today we're wrapping up a series of messages called Promises, Promises, Our Commitments Beyond the Voting Booth. And we're just a few days away now from a big election day in our nation. And it's leaving many of us wondering if why don't we have more options than we have on election day, right? Or if we should even vote at all. And while I certainly want to encourage all of you to vote, we are learning in this series that the body of Christ, as a body of Christ, we can do so much more than just vote, Right? We can do so much more than just vote. As we, it, it all starts with the promises that we make. The promises we make to each other, the promises we make to ourselves, and the promises we make to God. Over the last few weeks, we've been learning the value of keeping the promises we make and making a few promises as well. Promises to put others first, as, as Brian shared so eloquently last week here. But also promises to fight for the things that are on God's heart. And to do so with a spirit of humility and submission before God, recognizing that if things aren't done with a spirit of humility and submission, they aren't honored by God. Today, I want to encourage you to look in your program. You should find a a little card in there that says, I promise on it. I want to ask you to find that card and do this for me. As as, As I kind of share with you a little bit from God's Word this morning, I want you to just kind of think back on the things we've talked about during this series and consider this. Is there something, is there some promise that God would have you make this morning? Maybe it's a promise that you want to rekindle that you've made to God a long time ago or maybe it's something new that God's been stirring in you and this is the moment, today's the day where you say just between you and God, God, I'm committing to take this step with your help starting today. So I want to encourage you as I'm sharing, even just hold on to that card and be thinking God and praying, God, what, what promises do you want me to make to you today? Now, I think most, for most of us, we're certainly not opposed to God using us, right? I mean, we, we love it when God can use us in some way in our lives. And we can probably think, each one of us can think of a few ways that God has used us or maybe is using us even today. But today I want us to wrap up this series by addressing a thought that I think each one of us has wrestled with at some point in our lives. Maybe some of you have been wrestling with this even recently. And that thought is this. God, I, I don't really have what I need to do that, all that much or make that much of a difference in this world. I wish I did, God, but, but I don't. Have you ever thought this? I, I, God, I don't have the resources. I, I don't have the finances. I don't have the influence. I don't have the time. I don't have the talents to really do a whole lot that's going to amount to much of anything in this world. Other people can. Other people who are at a different place in life, other people who have things I don't have or who can do things that I can't do. Have you ever thought those thoughts in your life? I, I know I have. Not only have I thought those thoughts at times, but I've, seen it, I've heard that shared so many times by so many people. I've heard so many stories, even recently, of people who are struggling with that thought of, God, can I really do anything in this world that's going to actually make much of a difference? Take, for instance, this one teenage girl that I heard about recently from, from Iowa. She actually goes to a small church in Iowa, and she was working in the food pantry at the church one day, and she noticed how regularly a lot of the food that was in the food pantry was getting dumped into the dumpster in the back of the church because it was expired. And this just bugged Maria. It just really tore at her. And she kept thinking to herself, why does it have to be this way? There should be something that we could do. There should be some way that these these resources could get in the hands of those who need them before they expire. 
But then she thought, I'm just a teenage girl from Iowa. What could I possibly do? And then there's the story of this uh, guy named John from Florida. He's a businessman from Florida, and he has has a son who struggles with autism. And this dad, after looking for years for the miracle cure for his son, he finally just gave up. He's like, God, I I wish I could do something to help my son. My heart's there. I I I want to be able to empower my son to live an independent life, live a fulfilling life. But God, you made me a a businessman in Florida. What can I possibly do? And then, then there was Dave. Dave was, uh, I, I love Dave's story. Dave's a story he, Dave was an NFL washout. He served for, he, he played for a couple years, but then he, beca- he, uh, he had an injury, and he was actually labeled by the newspapers as Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> and he started to feel that way himself. He started wondering, if, if I could have just had a little bit more talent, if I could have just pushed myself a little bit harder, maybe I could have made something of myself, but now look, what is there left? Just... An injured guy who has nothing to look forward to in this world. You know, God has this way of resourcing us and doing incredible things through us if we allow him to. God has this ability to use us in this world to make a kingdom difference. But so oftentimes we think about what we lack rather than what we have. We think about what we, sh- what we need rather than what God has already given us to truly make a kingdom difference. God has given you and you and you and you all the gifts, all the talents, all the experiences you need to make a difference here and now in this world. God's given you the passion. God's given you the finances, the time to do exactly what he wants you to do. Not what he wants someone else to do, but what he wants you to do. God can and will use us, guys, in ways that will surprise us. It's the, it's the power of one. One God partnering with one everyday, ordinary individual like you or, or me, putting the two together to do extraordinary things. We can look at all the things that we don't have, but you know what? I'm so glad that God doesn't evaluate us based on what we have, how many resources are at our disposal. He won't evaluate us one day based on how gifted or how talented we are or how much Financial resources we accumulate over the course of our lives. No, these things are all things that God gives us in the first place. Instead, God will evaluate us one day based on what resources we use. Not the ones we have, but the ones we use. How faithful we are to take whatever God has given us and to use them in this life to make a kingdom difference. Jesus paints such a really clear picture of this in Matthew chapter 25. In fact, I want to encourage you to turn there. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25 with me for just a moment. I want to show you a story that just really crystallizes this message for us today. Matthew chapter 25. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, but you have your smartphone in your pocket, pastors encourage you to pull your phone out of your pocket Go to gracetucson.org slash Bible and you can actually follow along with the scriptures and the interactive sermon notes that are there at that URL. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says this. And this is Jesus sharing this. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, I'm going to pause there for a moment. Jesus is actually talking in this moment 
to his disciples, to his followers. He's not talking to the crowds. He's not talking to the naysayers in his life. He's talking to those who have decided to follow his will, his plan, his purpose for their lives. They've chosen to surrender their own agendas in this life to trust in God's. And Jesus is explaining to them here what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, we've, we've talked about this, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, a few times over the last year, right? The kingdom of heaven is this concept that Jesus talks about a lot in the Gospels. And the kingdom of heaven is described in two ways. Number one, the kingdom of heaven is what we can expect to experience in heaven one day. And we are there. It's the reality of what heaven is right now. But the kingdom of heaven is also what we have the potential of creating here on earth right now, today. Not what could be one day, but what can and will be as we are used by God to make a kingdom difference. So Jesus is kind of laying the groundwork and saying, I want to explain to you what the kingdom of heaven is like. What you're going to experience one day in heaven, but what I want to see happen right here, right now, here on earth. And so there's this story that Jesus starts telling about this master who is, who is like God. And he's calling together all of his servants who are like you and me. And he's going to divide up, the master's going to divide up all of his resources among them to manage for him. Now what I think is interesting is this master, he could have managed all of his resources himself, right? I mean, he was far smarter than any of them, far more capable. He could have invested all that he had in the bank. But no, he decides, I'm going to take all of my resources and give them to my servants to use while I'm away on this journey. He has a lot of trust in his servants, yeah? Jesus is trying to teach us here something, and this is how God operates with his resources. He takes them, and he divides them up among all of us in our lives. But notice here, the master doesn't divide up the resources equally, does he? Look at verse 15. It says, The master gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. And then it says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So the master's going away, and his resources are represented here in the New Living Translation as eight bags of silver, right? Now, in the New, New International Version, if you have that version of the Bible, it actually says eight bags of gold, right? But what you'll find in most translations of the of English translations of the Bible, and this is the more accurate, is the word talents. Um, bags of silver, bags of gold are just an easy way of understanding a talent. But a talent in that day was actually a measurement of money. A measurement of money. And sometimes as people are reading this, they also kind of read into this that it's not just the money resources, but this, the talents or the skills and the abilities that God gives us in this world as well. Now, I think the point that, God, or that Jesus is trying to make here is that God entrusts all that he has to people like you and me to manage every single day of our lives. The financial resources, the, the time that he gives us, the talents that he gives us, all of these things are resources that God gives us to manage while we're here on this earth. But did you notice, again, did you notice how he divided up those resources? I think this was interesting. Notice he, he had three servants, but he had eight talents 
There's no way that you can divide three out equally among eight, right? And this is the decision the master makes. I'm going to give one of them five, I'll give one of them two, and the other guy will just give one. Now, that doesn't seem very fair, does it? I mean, the least that the master could have done is given them three, three, and two, right? But he doesn't do that. He gives one of them five, and the other one just two, and then the last one just one. I mean, that doesn't seem very fair, does it? And that's the point. The master, God, doesn't entrust all of his resources to everyone equally. To some, he chooses to give more than to others. And we see this every day, right, in our own lives. We see people around us who have far more resources, God-given resources, than we have. But we also see at times people who have far less resources than we have, right? In this life, God blesses some people with a lot of talents and skills, a lot of financial resources based on where they're born or who they're born to or how much education they get. And we can argue fairness all day long, but God's not concerned about fairness. In fact, Romans 9 says this. God says, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed to the, for, to the one, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same, out of the same lump of, of clay pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And here's the deal. It's, it's going to be the same in heaven. There will be some who have far more responsibilities in heaven, Scripture says, and others, in part based on how we use the resources, how we manage the resources God's given us here on this earth. But you know what? You know, you know, as I read this story, I think a lot of us here today we're like the two-bagger in the story. You know, there are certainly a lot of people who have been entrusted with a lot more in this earth, haven't they? I mean, we know them. We know the five-baggers in our lives, right? Those who are just stinking blessed, right? They've got everything they need and more. They've got way more time than they, you know, and you think, oh, I wish I could have that much time to do. I could do so much with that time. Or they have so many financial resources or they have so many gifts and talents and you just, it's hard to not get jealous sometimes, right? When you see these five baggers in your life because you think, man, God, what's the deal? Well, you could be a little more fair here, right? But then there are those one baggers in our lives as well. Those people who have far less than us as well. Those people who would just love the opportunity to do something for one day with the resources that you and I have. I think for a lot of us here today, we are two baggers. There are people who have more, but there are also people that have less. And the challenge is to figure out in our lives, what can we do with the two bags that God has given us? He gives each person, God gives each person just what they need to do what he wants them to do in their lives. And in the end, the master doesn't care about how much resources a person has, but how we use the resources God has given us right? Whether we change the world or we change just a handful of lives, God only cares about our faithfulness to use what he's given us to make a difference in other people's lives. Look at verse 19. It says here, after a long time, their master returned from this trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. 
The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities, right? Let's celebrate together. Let me pause there for a moment. So, so this is judgment time. This is evaluation time. The, the journey is over, and, and you just know, this five-bagger's all excited that the master's coming back, right? I mean, he's just, he's, he can't wait for the master to get back. He's turned five bags into ten. He's got quite a bit of resources available now to give back to his master, and he just can't wait for the master to come back. And the master looks at what he's done with the resources that he's been entrusted with, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then, then the two-bagger comes along, right? That kind of guy, kind of like you and me. And he hasn't accomplished nearly as much as the five-bagger has. I mean, the five-bagger comes back with ten bags. And then this two-bagger just comes back with four. It's way less than the five-bagger did. Yet, notice here, the master is just as pleased with him. Look at verse 22. It says, The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Notice here, the master could care less that the two-bagger comes back with six less bags than the other guy, right? He doesn't care. He, and in fact, he, the master doesn't even make an excuse for the two-bagger and say, well, I really appreciate that you did what you, with what you, you may do with what you had. I, mean, I realize I only gave you two, but at least you doubled that, right? And he doesn't even try to excuse him. He only says, well done. You used the resources I gave you to make a difference. Thank you. He praises them both. Not because one, they have a lot of money, but because they were good and faithful with what they had been entrusted. Now, how about the one-bagger, right? Take a look at verse uh, 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, Here's your money back. (laughs) Wow. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest off of it. Now, notice, the master's not too pleased here, is he? He's really not. I mean, he's calling this servant wicked and lazy. Wicked because he's blaming the master for why he didn't do more with the resources he had been given than he did. I mean, he's saying how he's a harsh man and how he's unfair, right? And we can look at this story and think, well, how unfair? I mean, he's, he's now saying, well, master, you're just not a fair guy. And if you would be a little more fair, a little more reasonable, then I might have done something with this. But instead, I just decided to bear it. I just decided to stick it in the ground because I figured, what's the point? So the master calls him wicked, but he also calls him lazy because he didn't even try, Right? He didn't even try to manage the one bag of resources that the master had given him. He just buries it. And he goes on with his life. So what does the master decide? Look at verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken from them. And in that moment, guys, in that moment, 
the disciples get it. Jesus makes it crystal clear to them. See, the master doesn't praise those who have the most. It says, to those who use well what they've been given, more will be given. So the question, our question to God along the journey shouldn't be, God, how come you haven't given me more? God, how come you haven't given me more resources to manage? God, how come I'm not a five-bagger? God, how come you haven't blessed me with this or with that? Because if you had, I could do something with, with my time, with my resources. But Lord, you've, you've tied my hands behind my back. You've only given me two bags. Right? The question isn't that. The question should be, God, what's in my bag? Let me ask you a question this morning. I mean, I mean dead serious. What's in your bag this morning? What has God blessed you with that he can use? What resources, what talents has God given you that he perhaps hasn't given anyone else quite like you? What's in your bag this morning? What passions, what desires has he put in you that he wants you to use? What education, what, what knowledge, what life experience has he put in your bag? What relationships, what influence has he given you this morning? What, what time, what, what financial resources has he given you that the one-baggers of the world would just die for the opportunity to have for one day? I tell you, every one of us, our bags look different. None of us have the same two bags or one bag depending on how many you have. That doesn't matter. God's given you exactly what you need in your bag to use as he wants you to use. Remember, remember Maria, the, girl I was telling, the teen, teenage girl I was telling you about a little bit earlier? God put it on her heart to do something about the wasted food that kept getting thrown in the dumpster, right? But she said to herself, I'm a teenage girl from Iowa. What could I possibly do? So discouraged, she ended up graduating from high school. She went to college. And wouldn't you know, God stuck an extra resource in Maria's bag. That resource was a relationship she developed with a guy that she met in college who absolutely loved to sit in front of his screen all day and write computer code. And in that moment, she had an idea. And she started sharing this burden that she had on her heart and the two of them started working together. And today, there's a website called meansdatabase.com. And it's a phenomenal website. And we encourage you to check it out sometime. These two sat down and they figured out how to create a website that charities around the nation could use to share their food resources so that nothing would ever go to waste. And now they have it set up so that charities can be notified if anyone in their area has food or some other resources, perishable resources that need to be used so that they can go and pick them up and make sure that they are used. And now, Maria's little website is being used by charities in 42 states. Remember John, the, the businessman from Florida, the guy who had a son who struggles with autism, and he wanted so desperately to do something for his son, but as a businessman, he thought, what am I going to do? I'm a businessman. Well, he started praying. He started asking, what, what's in my bag? And he realized what was in his bag was his business background and an understanding of what autism really is like and what it does to people. 
So as he opened up his bag, he realized, I can do something. And he decided to start a car wash. He decided to start a a car wash business in Florida. Why a car wash? Because as he studied the effects of autism, he realized that his son and other people like him who have autism would excel in a car wash, serving it, working in a car wash because of the structure of the environment that it creates. And today, this car wash in Florida services 160,000 cars a year. <laughs> now they're starting a second car wash in their town. And you know why they're so successful? Because this businessman from Florida has decided to almost, almost with his entire business, employ young adults who struggle with autism. You see, while other car washers struggle with keeping people employed, he can't send his people home. They, won't, they, they come early and they stay late because they found community there. And they found purpose in life, including his son. Remember, by the way, remember also um, Dave, the, the NFL washout uh, that I shared with you earlier? I want you to take a look at this video. I was rolling back to my truck in a parking lot. And all of a sudden, I just hear, hey, hey. And I look over, I see this giant Spartan dude running over at me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you're going to get robbed, Brian. You're going to get robbed. Brian looked rough. I just felt like I needed to stop. And so I slammed on my brakes, and I whipped it next to him, and I jumped out of the car. Yeah, he's just like, hey, I'm David Babora, retired NFL player. What happened? This is Buckshot. He was one of the IED detective dogs our unit had. It was April 18th, 2011. I'm walking into boot prints of the men in front of me. And I'm like, well, all right, Buckshot, we're going to jump. And right as I push it off with my right foot, my left foot's off the ground, and kaboom. And everything goes black from all the smoke and dirt flying in the air. And I've had over 30 surgeries. I can't even describe how much that stuff hurt. And you go and you tell them, hey, this still hurts. And they're like, well, I think you're abusing your meds. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go buy heroin. The time when I stopped in that parking lot, he was severely addicted to heroin. had just gotten out of a second detox, and he was going to bed every single night with a pistol next to his body. He felt like he couldn't be the Marine that he was when he left our country to go serve. He was broken, completely broken place that I was familiar with. I told him I used to play football. You know, I had a gym downtown and I'd love it if he joined me. The following morning he showed up and we trained and we started to explore different things and the way he could do things. And for the next three months, he came every day. So we just hit it off. I watched the life come back to his eyes. We just experimented with all different kinds of exercises. And from there, we just built a program around it. After going there regularly, getting stronger, getting healthier, my body pain decreased tremendously. My confidence levels changed. It all became a lot more feasible. I was like, man, yeah, this, this is, I can do this. This isn't, this isn't impossible. Pick number 252. Last pick in the 2008 draft, making me Mr. Irrelevant. It was the St. Louis Rams. Selected me that last pick and started my rookie year. In 2011, I suffered a traumatic shoulder injury, and it led to a very aggressive pain medication uh, addiction. Started with prescriptions, and it quickly manifested itself, and, and it was anything but dealing with pain. It was the first time in my life I had to look myself in the mirror and ask, who's David without football? 
It just took a year to rehabilitate my mind and my body. So I said, well, what if we started a gym in Texas? And so we moved here. And I launched the Performance Vault, training for elite athletes. I was having success, man. NFL athletes, Olympic athletes, making good money, finding the groove, and then it all changed. Staff Sergeant Travis Mills is one of five living veteran quadruple amputees. Uh, he was blown up serving our great country in Afghanistan, stepped on an IED, lost all four limbs. And I was way across the room and I, I just, I saw him walk in and I was just drawn to him. And I looked at him and I said, when was the last time you worked out? He looked at me and looked down at his prosthetics and said, I'm sorry, I don't want to make you feel like an idiot, but I don't have arms and legs. I said, Travis, I want to train you. And he said, well, do you have any experience? And the first day we trained, I asked him, I said, what are you most afraid of? And he said, well, remember, no arms, no legs, gravity wins, so falling. Then I realized, wait a second, I'm, if Travis is in this position that he, he can't really go to a typical gym, I said, wow, all of these people, veterans, civilians, these people with physical disabilities, they've sort of been sidelined. They've fallen into the rehabilitation process, but eventually insurance ran out, cash ran out, and where do they go, right? Where do they go to, to be a part of a collective group that has this community and this ability to, to push each other? Wow. So what happened? Dave found something that touched his heart, and then he looked in his bag. He found a passion for athletics there. He saw the pain of loss, even addiction in his past, and how maybe, maybe that could be used for something greater. And then he thought, maybe... I can do something to help Brian. And maybe I can do something to help this guy and that guy. By the way, Brian, the guy in this story, Brian's strong again. He feels like he has a piece of his life back. He's now enrolled in school. He's now getting ready to be married as a fiance. And the most exciting thing is he no longer sleeps with a gun. How do I know about these people? <laughs> Sorry, this one, this one really touches me. How do I know about these people? It's not because I was at some Tony Robbins empowerment seminar where these superhuman people are sharing how they do super things. It was me stumbling upon the Starbucks website and finding this little section of it called Upstanders, which is just dedicated to everyday ordinary people who stumbled upon how to do incredible, extraordinary things for others. And there's, the, the site is filled with stories like this. People who looked in their bag and said, what can I do with what I've been given? And they decide to take a step. You can see these videos, and, uh, that, uh, you know, this video and others at gracetucson.org slash Bible if you want to later today. But I could just as easily as I have with this story, I, I could share with you so many stories about things like this happening in the life of, of people here at Grace. Like the half dozen people, the half dozen men here at Grace who decided a few months ago, to do something about um, the, the men who were in prison and, and aren't hearing about Christ. And a couple of them here at Grace decided to look in their bag and they saw, well, in my bag is some experience teaching Alpha. And I'm like, why not? Why not try to use it? So they show up at the Miranda prison and they just finished a course of Alpha where 25 men finished it. And now they're getting ready to start another. I could also tell you the story about a woman named Olga who totally inspires me. Olga's been attending here at Grace for, for many months now. And 
the, what her story in a nutshell is years ago she found out that her kids weren't getting educated the way she thought they should be educated and she started asking questions and kept getting blown off and so it ultimately became a bad question as she asked God God what's in my bag what can I do I'm just a mom from Oro Valley but she looked in her bag and she saw in there that she liked to do research and she likes to push people and she likes to ask hard questions And now God's put her in a place where she's going before school boards and the state legislature in the Capitol and petitioning to do something about the public education system, different aspects of it here in Arizona today. I had her share a few words with me just a few days ago, and I want to give you a few highlights of what she said. It was so inspirational to me. I'm going to keep this. She said, I had no idea how to do this, nor did I even know who my legislators were. And I couldn't imagine why they would take the time to listen to me, one mom from Oro Valley. But then she said, God knew. I started so shy, she said, and too meek to say anything. And over time, I began to connect with other moms and lawmakers throughout Arizona. It's not an easy or a quick process, she said. It's often frustrating. There are a lot of competing voices for their attention. Lobbyists are at the Capitol every day, all day, and moms like me can't do that. She said... This is when prayer really comes into the picture for me. I ask often, God, am I, am I doing the right things with what you've given me? She said, so I continue to hope that this is the right path and I share what I know and I've seen hearts and minds change. And she said, Pastor, was, Pastor Dave was right when he said, if you ask God to put something on your heart, he will. I never would have imagined myself doing what I'm doing right now but at the same time, I now can't imagine not doing it. I could go on and on with these stories that I've heard here at Grace just recently. But let me ask you again, because this is what I'm getting to. What's in your bag? What has God entrusted, not to anyone else in this room, He's entrusted to you? When's the last time you stopped to see, to think about what's in your bag? God has given you everything you need to do what he wants you to do in this world. Guaranteed. It might be something big or it might be a lifetime of smaller things that others might not notice, but that is an act of faithfulness to God. Regardless, may you always remember that it's not about what you have, how much money you have, how much resources you have, how much you can do. No. In God's eyes, it's all about how faithful you are to use what he has given you. That's the power of one. One God partnering with one everyday, ordinary individual like you and me, together doing extraordinary things. God can and will use you to make a kingdom difference. If you are like the two-bagger or the five-bagger and say, God, with what you've given me, I will do something with it. I promise. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity today to wrap up this series on promises. And Lord, I, I, I am convinced that there are people in this room, there are people who are listening online, and Lord, you are asking many of us to step up and make a promise or two today. Before we leave this room, God, I know that you've been stirring in some people's hearts here over the last few weeks in this area. God, I ask 
that you would not let us walk out this door until we've made these promises, these commitments to you. Lord, I thank you for giving us this place of grace and this place where we can learn together and grow together and strive to be more like you. God, would you help us in the next few moments to consider what these promises will look like for each one of us. Lord, for some of us, it's promises that we made a long, long time ago. And life happened. And they got put on a shelf. God, help us to resurrect those promises and to trust you to do something with them. Lord, for some of us, we haven't made a promise to you in ages. We, we've been almost afraid to make a promise because we're afraid we might not keep it. Lord, help us to not be like the one bagger who buries our talents, but instead uses them any and every opportunity you give us. And Lord, may you take those offerings that we give back to you and do something with them extraordinary. In Jesus' name, amen. As you think about the promises that maybe God's asking you to make this morning, take a listen to this. One. one. The power of one. What can one do? One. one. It takes one seed to make one tree. It takes one tree to make one forest. One step becomes one mile. One mile becomes one journey. One thought becomes one decision. One decision becomes one habit. One habit becomes one lifestyle. One lifestyle becomes one destiny. It takes one spark to create one flame. It takes one flame to create one inferno. What can one do? There is only one you. One part. One dream. One future. One life. What can one do? What can one person do? Mother Teresa. Abraham Lincoln. Martin Luther King. One. It took one man on one day on one cross to pay one cost to change one world. One. What could you do with one minute, one hour, one day? What could you do with one person, one family, community? What if one person stood up for Jesus Christ? What if one person didn't care what others thought? What if one person decided to change their world? What if... One. What if you? As you think about what God is asking of you, again, take out this card and just jot down what you feel like God's putting on your heart this morning. We're just going to take a moment to just process and think about what God's been saying to each one of us here for just a moment.